0: Listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Here are your co-hosts, Andrew Forbes, Peter Baracchini, and Alex Hopson.
1: Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 129 of Sticks in the Six. As always, I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-hosts, Alex and Peter uh boys uh, lots to talk about uh, on the leaf front uh, a little bit of draft recap a little free agency recap but first of all as always how you guys doing this week alex we'll throw it to you first doing good man uh
2: the draft honestly feels like it was a month ago like I, I <laughs> feels like we've lived through an entire off season in these past couple days so uh, i'm looking forward to chatting with our chatting with our london knights buddy over here uh, we'll bring him on soon to uh chat about the leafs first round pick and maybe talk some fans off the ledge um but uh, overall, things are going well. I'm going to see Weezer in Toronto with my brother tonight, so uh,
3: just,
2: just hanging out, waiting to waiting to do that. He's a he's a much bigger fan than I am. He's one of those fans that knows everything they did front to back. Uh, I just know the hits, but uh, it's going to be a good show, anyways. So uh, yeah, we're uh, we're looking forward to that, and uh, we're looking forward to chatting
1: some hockey before that. So, as you mentioned, we do have Kyle Grimmerd from the London Knights. Uh, he's a uh, uh, I with the London Knights, but he has his own podcast as well with Mike Stubbs. So be sure to check that out. Uh, we'll bring him on in just a minute here, but before we do, Peter, you're back from Nashville, Nashville buddy. And uh, I saw that uh, nice little Jack Daniels, uh, gift basket you guys got so how is that buddy uh
0: unfortunately it was only given to select members of the media I mean, Oh, I, yeah but uh good news is um mark Shay was able to get a bottle so that is a very good sign um i'm hoping that uh that bottle is probably gone at this point but uh it was a nice bottle for the 25th anniversary for the preds um again a little disappointed but that's all good um yeah it Nashville itself overall was just a party and a half like no matter where you were there was always something going on until 3 a.m in the morning and right when i was coming back home when i left my hotel room at 3 a.m people were leaving the bars at 3 a.m and the party was still going on so yeah um draft was a success it was great it was fun um yeah it, it definitely was an experience i'll never forget and alex let me know if they play hash pipe tonight because when i saw them with Blink 82 years ago, that was the very first song that they played.
2: Oh, I'm sure they'll play Hash. But <laughs> I, 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 I'm sure they'll lead off right with it.
0: Did you get to uh, sit in with Brad Paisley and play some drums when you're in <laughs> Nashville, or what? Unfortunately, no. Uh, I I couldn't get a hold of Brad. Uh, oh. Brad, if you're out there listening, if uh, you miss me, hook, hook me up. I'm a I'm a drummer in the wing, waiting in the wings right now.
1: Well, next time you'll find, uh, you'll find them on Broadway, Brad. Uh, but, uh, until then, um, as, uh, Alex mentioned, we've got Kyle coming on here, but before we do just a quick word from our presenting sponsors in the ale house, the off season is back. The draft is done and, so, and free agency is in full wind, getting ready for a night out or watching some of that hockey content at home with the gang. What better way to do it than with a nice cold one from the folks at Indie Ale House in Toronto with two locations in the city at Italy, Toronto at Bay and Bloor, the Biroteca location. They have two big screens, amazing authentic Italian food and loads of beer. Also at OG Brew Pub in the junction at Kiel and Dundas with 120 seats, famous bar food and 12 taps. Indie Ale House is a second, sorry, is an award-winning brewery uh, featuring their flagship Instigator IPA and dozens of rotating monthly special release beers, Perfect for takeout, dine-in, or bottle shop online orders when planning for a game night. You can find Instigator IPA and Marco Polo Pilsner at finer LCBOs across the province as well. Hashtag Live Indie is the motto. Adventurous, fun-focused beers with a selection for everyone from a healthy dose of in-your-face hoppy beers for the beer geeks to mainstream Pilsners and easy drinking options. Indie Alehouse is the go-to for game day. So as we mentioned, uh, bringing... Kyle, on to the uh, broadcast here. Kyle, welcome to Sticks in the Six. So you're our London Knights insider and as-leaf podcast, obviously, London Knights is the talk of the town after that round one draft pick. So, Kyle, welcome to Sticks and the Six. How are you doing, buddy? Gentlemen, thank you for having me. Uh, really good. Uh, I got about
3: half a dozen messages once the Easton Cowan pick was made. Uh, <laughs> everyone's trying to get the insight on, uh, you know, on the player, on the team, and, it's uh, I'm, I'm really rooting for the kid. I think that's one of the biggest attributes is that he's a guy that you want to root for. He's a guy that you want uh, to succeed. And he kind of brings a lot of elements that I think the Leafs have been looking for over the last few years. So uh, it's going to be really exciting for him. And I'm, I'm proud of the kid. Well, Kyle, I'm before
2: waiting. we, before, sorry, Andrew, I just wanted Go to ahead. real quick, before we get into the uh, interview and talk about Cowan and talk about the Knights and talk about everything. I just want to give you an opportunity to plug, uh, where you come from and all the 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 stuff that you do. I know this isn't our first time chatting on a podcast. Maybe you want to mention your pod.
3: Yeah, no, Alex and I we've uh, we've chatted a few times. I uh, I do a podcast with Mike Stubbs, who's the voice of the London Knights on 980 CFPL. It's called Night Shift. Uh, we just started it this past season, and it it's a lot of fun. I know a lot of people that start different projects and whatnot, and it takes a uh, you know a while for for an organization and or for a team to you know get to a level and it was fun that in our first season the Knights went all the way to the OHL championships against the Peterborough Petes and saw a lot of growth a lot of uh you know a lot of players really come into their own this season so it's it's on any uh, network that you want Spotify Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts I think it's Amazon Prime as well Night Shift with Calgarmar and Mike Stubbs and then you know Pierre I just heard you were in Nashville I do a morning show for Country 104 in London, Ontario. So we, uh, I was following that draft pretty closely and seeing all the different acts, whether it was Mitchell Tenpenny, it was Dirk
0: Bentley,
3: <laughs> with the NHL award. So that was really cool to see over the last little bit.
1: Well, Kyle, I think there was a lot of conversation going into the NHL draft about the Leafs and what they were going to do with that number or that first round pick. Um, Obviously, there was some consideration that uh, if Oliver Bonk falls that far, you know, maybe they go after Oliver Bonk. Instead, they go after a different London Knight, um, one that's a little bit smaller than Bonk was, but certainly a guy that uh, has a lot of talent. And uh, as you mentioned uh, this year, a lot of growth from uh, Easton Cowan. Give us the rundown on on what makes Easton Cowan a great first-round pick for the Toronto Maple Leafs.
3: Well, you know what's funny, too, is he started the year – at the junior B level. So he had to come up from that level just to get with the London Knights organization. You know, when he was first drafted, he kind of got a glimpse of of what it was going to be like in the OHL. And I think the one thing immediately that I noticed from game one was the stage wasn't too big for him, even as a rookie, you know, that season, obviously with the COVID conditions and everything, a lot of guys weren't able to get that full experience in. So when he came into this past season, you know, he was kind of starting behind, a lot of players who had a lot more experience, whether it's George Diaco, who was the co-captain, Sean McGurn had already been there and played with a year with Antonio Stranges and Luke Evangelista, who's a second round pick of the Nashville Predators. And all he did all year was earn Dale Hunter's trust and respect. I mean, this is a guy who played in every element of the game he was working on their number 1 power play unit at times he was one of their t- best penalty killers there's a shift i believe it's in the second round against the sarnia sting or in the third round against the sting where he controls the puck for about a minute and 15 seconds on his own and he's fighting off three or four sting players at a time so he could do it at both ends he's out when you're down a goal he's on the ice when you're up a goal so he kind of does a little bit of everything and One of the things that I think a lot of people don't realize was his second half of the season wasn't just the playoffs. Over the last 50 games played that he played, he scored 50 points. He had 29 in the final 30 regular season games and then 21 points in 20 games in the playoffs. And I think only two or three nights outscored him in that time frame. He was also playing through an illness in the OHL championships. He's just there's everything you want to like about this player and the two things that he mentioned that he wanted to get better at this offseason. one, he wants to get bigger. He understands that he can put on a little bit of weight. He's probably going to grow an inch or two as well, but he's also looking to get bigger and he wants to develop his shot even more, which I already think is an NHL shot.
2: Kyle, you, uh, uh you, you've already kind of touched on, his strengths and what kind of a player he is. And I'll tell you my favorite tradition after every NHL draft that the Leafs take part in is going through the comment sections and seeing all the people who were born and not to generalize, but born in the fifties or the sixties, et cetera. Um, singling out the fact that he, uh, their new prospect is five foot, ten, five foot 11. Oh, they drafted another small player. They drafted another short skill that they, they need grit, all that, you know, all the talking points. So, <laughs> for people out there who see that Easton Cowan is five foot 10 or five foot 11 or whatever he is and just assume that he's this little you know short skilled prospect that you know is going to get knocked around when he gets to the NHL what do you have to say to those people
3: well I mean it's it's easy to look at those metrics and assume that he doesn't go into the corners he's not physical he doesn't battle and all you've got to do is is watch and and those guys that you're talking about, Alex, who are probably have never watched a shift of Easton Cowan in their lives, <laughs> but all he does is, you know, he's the energy bug. He was on a line with Ryan Winterton, who is an NHL draft pick of the Seattle Kraken and Denver Barkey. And they made up the uh Twinterton line, which was covetedly named. It was the best line in the OHL playoffs. And he was the guy that was, was getting the pucks. He was retrieving it. He was battling. He was throwing his body around. He was driving to the front of the net and, you All I can say is that, you know, a guy like that in the OHL finals, he missed game three due to an illness. Him and Denver Barkey, they were sorely missed and they ended up losing that game. They returned for game four and all he did was a minute and 30 seconds in is open the scoring by hustling in on the four check, beating a defender to the puck, out muscling him, driving to the front of the net and scoring. And if those aren't intangibles that you want in a first round pick or in a player in general, I don't know what is. And I just I think he's got every element to be, you know, a regular NHLer. And I I think you just got to go back and not just the highlight tapes, but especially this season, you, you assume that the London Knights are going to be heavily featured, whether it's television programs or whatever station that they're going to be on, because of the media coverage with Easton Cowan being a first-round pick of the Leafs. And once you start watching what he does on the ice, I think people are going to grow to appreciate what he brings and what he'll bring that the Leafs don't already have.
0: Kyle, You're already talking about like Cowan's game, and even uh, during the media scrum availability, Cowan, Cowan was talking about his hounding mentality you know, getting in on the forecheck, chasing pox, being that you know, kind of tenacious player that you know the Maple Leafs have been going in that direction, direction, even with free agency right now. Um, given how he he plays with that mindset, um obviously a lot of fans were saying that you know what they probably should have taken players with higher upside like a Gavin Brindley you know smaller players same energy but a little bit more production obviously points is not the biggest thing Um, considering that he had you know 53 points this season is that an indicator where you know points are off the table and his work ethic mindset and drive was the most important thing for the Leafs
3: well, I mean, I, you can look at it that way. I'll look at it as another London Knight who exploded after his draft year. Uh, Luke Evangelista, a guy mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier, his rookie year, he did not score a single goal for the London Knights. He was a second round selection in the OHL priority selection. And all he did his next year in his draft year was he put up 22 goals. I believe in about 61 points, he ended up going in the second round of the Nashville Predators. His following year, when he came back to London, he led the OHL in goals with 55 and at 111 points. So the jump that Nashville saw that he was going to make was significant. I'm not saying that Easton Cowan is going to have that kind of jump where he's going to lead the OHL in goals and he's going to put up 115 points, but, from a 20 goal score, it, it's not going to surprise me if Easton Cowan goes back to London this past season. One, I'm, I won't be surprised if he's the captain because mm-hmm. that's the kind of attitude that he brings to the team. And that's what I think the hunters really see in a guy like that. But I also can see him making a jump where he's a 30, 35 goal scorer, and he'll push 80, 85 points. And he'll be a guy that's leaned on in almost every aspect of the game. And it's just going to make him a better overall player. the The, the hunters don't put players in positions they don't think they're ready for, or they don't think that they can challenge. And I think we've seen that with a lot of players with the London Knights, at least I have over the last few years with Luke Evangelista, who was a massive penalty killing player. Uh, you know, we saw players, you know, even in, in past that Evan Bouchard, they don't really show uh, playing time, but in the playoffs, Evan Bouchard was playing probably 35 minutes a game. Like he was a horse for the London Knights, but the hunters wouldn't have done that with him unless they knew he could handle it. And I think we're going to see a lot more responsibility given to Easton Cowan in all aspects of the game. And I think he's going to take it and go with it because he he's not a guy who just he's not going to go back and go, oh, I'm a first round pick. I've got that pedigree. It's no big deal. He's going to wear it and he's going to earn it every single day. I think that's the best one of the best qualities he has.
1: I'm glad you brought up what the, what the hunters provide for these guys. Cause uh, coming out of the combine, I, I spoke to each of the knights that were, were uh, attended the combine and uh, spoke to them about what the London Knights do for them as an organization, preparing them for, for the next level, preparing them for steps in their career, like the combine, like the draft. Um, and, and it's, it's very evident what the London Knights do in terms of preparing these guys. I mean, just look at the history of this organization and what they provided for the NHL. Um, you go back and you look at names like Max Domi. I mean, Look at the Leafs alone: Max Domi, John Tavares, Mitch Marner, now Easton Cowan. Um, what do you see from from the London Knights that prepares these guys for the next level in terms of, you know, taking that next step and having that kind of class A personality to 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 be a, a difference maker?
3: Well, I think they are a lot more hands-on than, than a lot of people who don't follow the organization realize. I mean, Mark Hunter on game days is walking around the building. He's not sitting up in the suites just observing. He is walking around. He's talking to all of the, you know, he's talking to players who aren't playing in that game, guys who are scratched, underage guys who, you know, uh, to NCAA terms, they're almost redshirting their rookie years and not playing, but they're getting a sense of the culture. They're getting a sense of how how things go over there. But I also just think that, with the hunters they they just do a, they they do a really good job at understanding the player types and the culture that they want coming in and a really underrated part of what they do is if they recognize that maybe a player's not working out, they try to find a situation or a place where they can go and thrive guys like Sahil Panwar, who didn't necessarily get top six minutes here in London. They, they make a trade and send him over to uh, the Hamilton Bulldogs and Sahil Panwar all of a sudden becomes a top six player. He gets bigger playing minutes. He gets a bigger role and he starts producing over there. So, as as much flack as you know maybe you want to think the hunters get, you know, working with the with the London Knights and being owners and all they they, they, they buy their scouting and they bring play like there's all these fun rumors that you love hearing about, but they really do a good job at putting the players in the best position, whether it's with the organization or not, but I think they identify which guys they want part of their culture to continue on the guys that you mentioned guys like Nazem Kadri's and Mitch Marners and Matthew Kachuks and a legacy that gets, you know, you know, they have to carry on with so many incredible players. And I think they, they really do their due diligence in making sure that that legacy is being handed off to the right guys.
2: I think that that's a very strong point that you, you make because, you know, speaking as somebody who grew up as a fan of the, the childhood rival of the London Knights, the Kitchener Rangers, um, you know, don't get me wrong. I love the odd. Uh, I, I've had lots of great memories at the odd growing up, but nothing compares to Budweiser Gardens. I mean, you walk in there and you feel like you're walking into an NHL arena and there is a different level of professionalism that I think players who go through that system. Um, kind of get, kind of get groomed into just because of the guys that they're around. And we, we sit here, we talk about Easton Cowan's game. Um, as somebody who's been around the team as much as you have, and you spend a fair bit amount with the players and with people around the organization, is there anything you can tell us about Easton Cowan, the person, uh, as opposed to just him as a player? the one thing that really threw me off was I was able to, you know, to talk with him and interview him
3: in his very first game in the OHL. And this is, he's still got the cage and everything. So he is a pure rookie at this point and the level of almost match like maturation and sophistication that he had and understanding the environment that, that he was in the position that he was in. And he just wanted to, to play within his own game, but still have an impact kind of, it did throw me for a loop a little bit because that wasn't what I was expecting from a 16 year old at the time. And now a couple of years later, he's really come into his own. He's a very personable guy, but not to the extent where it's almost like cocky. He's, he really likes getting everybody up to his level and engaged in the game. And he's always talking on the bench with, with whether it's Denver Barkey or whoever he's playing with, but he, he always seems to be going at hundred percent, which, you know, a lot of nights in the OHL, it's, it's easy to take nights off whether you're playing a team and you know you're going to go into their barn and pump them 10-2 or 9-1 or whatever, and you can have a little bit of an off game. And he, he just – he refused to have that. And no matter how difficult it got for them in the playoffs, he always came in and always found a way to produce. And I just think it's his mentality that, you know, he understands that even said in his post-draft interview that he's – you know, he was a little shocked. He was sitting up in the, the, the rafters not expecting to hear his name called maybe on day one – But at the same time, that's not going to sway him or, you know, make it feel like the spotlight's a little bit too big for him. He's going to go and improve himself literally every single day. And that's kind of a
2: perfect mentality you want going into the Toronto Maple Leafs. Well, yeah, especially since with the signings the Leafs have made lately, especially and I I know I'm not comparing Easton Cowan and Ryan Reeves. I know that they are probably as different as players as you can get, but a big part of the reason they brought Ryan Reeves in is because he's a guy that's vocal and, you know, true living comes in and says that he's a guy that's never spent time in the dressing room with the Leafs. But he says that the first vibe that he got was that it's a bit of a quiet room. And obviously when you have a captain like John Tavares, um, things are going to be a little bit quieter. He's one of the quietest guys in the league. So you have to wonder if maybe just in recent, I don't know, in recent weeks with, with true living taking over at the helm, mate that there's, a flaw that he's identified in the room and maybe Easton Cowan plays into that because you're obviously not drafting a guy in the first round because he's vocal on the bench, but it had to have helped this case considering how far they reached to get him. Well, and
3: if if you watch the Knights over the year too, they do a lot of of dressing room videos where you go in and you see, you know, the the personalities in there. Max McHugh, who's a a draft pick of the San Jose Sharks, is one of the more um, outgoing individuals. And he kind of set the tone along with co-captain Sean McGurn and and George Diaco. And, you know, that's, that's again, what I'm talking about of guys passing on the tradition, you know, the guys that are going to be carrying that are the Oliver Bonks and the Easton Cowans. Max McHugh might be back for one more season with the Knights, but that's, that's the mentality and attitude that they've basically been in now for two to three years and will carry over into their NHL careers. And if you can carry any sort of that mentality over, I think it's, it's never a bad thing. There is always a lot of voices in that locker room. There's a lot to live up to when you're a member of the London Knights. I know Alex, it's you're a big Rangers fan. So it's probably <laughs> tough to hear. I hear a lot of people. It's, it's kind of the similar with the Leafs, right? You either you hate them or you love them. There's no one between with, with the Knights, but it's, it's it's definitely that mentality. There it is. I like it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you right now that I, 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 I was never, I never got so into junior hockey to the point where I where I hate certain teams. Uh, ask a couple of my buddies and yeah, they, they're avid Knights haters, but I don't really, you know, they're all kids. And I, I feel like with so much roster turnover every year, it's kind of hard to develop a hatred for a team, but I won't lie and say there's no envy for for the Knights considering how routinely good they are. I mean, hell, they're the, they're the they're the ninety six bulls of the OHL if you want to call them that. So, um, <laughs> yeah, overall, uh, it's you know, if anything, I can put away my put aside my uh, my my, uh, my jealousy and my envy of the Knights to uh, recognize that Easton Cowan's coming through a pretty good system. So, no, I, no I, and I, I agree as well.
0: Yeah, I just want to jump in quickly about um, obviously, Easton said that you know he he attributed his second half as a big reason for. Getting on the Maple Leafs radar, even um, Wes Clark said that, you know, he had a strong second half, strong playoffs, rising into key moments. What did you notice in Cowan's game in the second half that elevated it to the point where you kind of got a sense that maybe you know what his draft stock is improving tremendously? the biggest
3: thing was his confidence in understanding that, you know, over the first half of the season, he was trying to figure out where he was going to fit within the roster because the Knights had a really good roster last year and they brought over some older players to kind of fill some holes. You had Ryan Humphrey and Ryan Winterton who were acquired in a trade about halfway through the year in January from the Hamilton Bulldogs. And Ryan Humphrey was kind of that same similar vibe where he is a, he's a, he's a menace. He's, you know, physical, he's in your face, he's talking, but he can also score 20 goals. So that was tough. And then Ryan Winterton, Winterton carries the pedigree of being a draft pick of the Seattle Kraken. You already had uh, Sean McGurn, who, you know, rode shotgun with Evangelista and Strange the year prior, who was going to be your number one center. You had Max McHugh, who had pedigree as a draft pick. And then the back end was just stacked with um, Oliver Bonk, who was a draft pick of the Flyers. You had Sam Dickinson, who's one of the best 16 year olds I've ever seen on the back end. Brett Brochu was the goaltender of the year in the OHL. So it's hard for a younger guy who hasn't been drafted yet, who's trying to find his spot on the roster. And I think once Dale Hunter recognized that he could not only be a useful player, but thrive in the role that he had, I think he grabbed it and he never let go. And it got to the point where he was on the top line with Ryan Winterton and Denver Barkey. And they were carrying the Knights offense through the better part of the back half of the season and in the postseason. So I think the confidence thing, once that shot up and he knew that he was given that opportunity, never let it go
1: would you agree too, Kyle that like uh for anybody who doesn't watch the knights the the hunters as you mentioned kind of put them in a, in a position to succeed and force their hand a little bit in in developing that confidence because if you're a younger player in the london knights system right now you don't play a, you don't get a lot of playing time he, like dale hunters known for playing his his big players for like 25 30 minutes a game i mean you go back to the day, uh, the day where they had Marner to uh, Dvorak and Techuk as a line and those guys seem to never step off the ice. So would you agree that that's part of it too is that that coaching style is almost forces these players to find that confidence if they want to remain with that organization?
3: that's exactly it. But, you know, I want to be clear. the hunters will never force a player into a situation. They will test them throughout the course of the season and see how they do. And Mm -hmm. if they think that they can handle that pressure, that's when they're given a little bit more leeway and they're given that range. Because like we said, you know, the Knights had a, a draft pick last year by the name of Luca Testa. He never really found his footing and he was involved in the trade with the Hamilton Bulldogs and sent him over for Ryan Winterton and Ryan Humphrey. So Hunter recognized immediately, Dale and and, and Mark did, that, you know, Testa wasn't necessarily going to be a player that was going to thrive and they knew they were going to go on a deep run. And instead of trying to force him because he was a first, uh, first round selection in the OHL priority selection, they didn't make it a thing. They just, they understood right away that he wasn't, going to fit the mold for what they wanted that season and they ended up moving him and getting in a couple really really important players for that run so it's never a forced thing but once you've earned the respect and trust of mark and dale hunter that's when they kind of put those players into those situations because they've already been tested and they know that they can handle it
2: (laughs) i just looked up luca Testa. kid was born in 2006 that makes me feel old my (laughs) god i'm 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 a step younger than these other guys here so i and the, the whole i feel old comments uh they usually don't usually get received all, all that nicely but i'm <laughs> starting i'm starting to see more and more players that are around my brother's age get drafted it's like god damn it it's time
0: gets more th- painful
2: and painful oh yeah yep i'm uh fully aware
0: I was about to say, I feel really old when that picture of Cowan in his Maple Leaf jersey was right behind the glass with Mitch Marner oh. right then and there. That's how you know you're really old because now that, that was probably just like, what, four or five years ago? And now all of a sudden, he's drafted into the Maple Leafs organization with Marner. Yeah, my first photo of Mitch Marner is we played in a ball hockey tournament together in Burlington,
3: <laughs> Ontario, and I was still older than him and still am today. So. <laughs>
1: Safe to say, that's an important moment as well for for a player like uh, Easton Cowan. You know, getting a phone call from uh, or a text message from from Mitch Marner right after he's drafted as well, eh?
3: Oh, huge. And yeah, I mean, he gets a FaceTime from Marner welcoming him to the team. And then not only that, but it just goes to show all the other former Leafs and, and current Leaf players. I mean, Nazem Kadri shot him a text message and Kadri hasn't been with the team for years. But, you know, a lot of players hold that pedigree when you're drafted by the Knights. And, you know, I know, Alex, you mentioned John Tavares. Don't mention to, to Oshawa Generals fans that he was a Knight ever because that will, that does never fly well. But. Uh... But there's a lot of respect for players like that, and and you know when they go out of their way, it's it it's again it's it's an honor that you carry in the legacy with all of these other guys, and and whether you know it could have been even Kachuk maybe mentioned or Dvorak, but they understand what it means to be to come from that organization. So I think for Easton, watching Marner as a quote unquote kid, and then now getting a chance to potentially be
2: a teammate of him, I think that's really special. It'd be like if you told the leafs fan that matt Sandine
1: was a vancouver canucks like i think so that's exactly pretty, yeah. pretty,
2: pretty similar pretty similar situation <laughs>
1: there. Well, i think i know the answer to this but uh obviously you know a first round uh first round pedigree something that the london knights pride themselves in who are we looking at through the pipeline right now in the london knights organization that could be a future first round pick for for an nhl team Without a doubt, it's Sam Dickinson on the back end.
3: I mentioned it earlier, he is, he was the fourth overall selection last year in the OHL priority selection of the Niagara ice dogs. And, you know, there was some drama going on there and he didn't really want to be a part of that organization. And London gave up quite a haul to get him. And I remember, you know, seeing some, some highlights of him and understanding what he was going to be as a player. The first game I ever watched him play, I think he had two assists in the game. He, he set up, I think Oliver Bonk for the Knights' first goal of the year. And as the year went on, he, gained responsibilities within a top four that has Isaiah George, who's a selectin' of the New York Islanders, Logan Mayhew, who obviously comes with the pedigree and, and played a ton of minutes for the Knights, and then Oliver Bonk, who was going to be a selection this past year too, and all he did was earn himself a significant... He's the best 16-year-old I think I've seen live, and I haven't had you know a, a huge tenure of getting to watch junior hockey. I've got about four or five years, but he's hands down one of the best 16-year-olds I've seen. He will be a first-round pick this coming year.
1: Well, Kyle, I think we've uh, taken up enough of your time, but let's make a deal. When Sam Dickinson goes in the first round next year, we'll uh, we'll bring you on again to, to discuss a little bit more London Knights. God, I'm hoping it's to the Leafs too, because he would be <laughs> a very welcome player to that team. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thanks, Kyle, again, for joining us here on Sticks in the Six, and uh, we look forward to having you back on at some point.
3: Yeah, thank you again, and uh, as always,
1: gentlemen, you enjoy. Take it easy, Kyle. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Well, boys, I think uh, it's safe to say that Kyle put some rest to that panic that uh, Leafs Nation was experiencing after that 28th overall pick. But um, let's jump right into it with you guys. Uh, Peter, your thoughts on the Leafs taking Easton Cowan uh, first round. A little bit of a leap when it comes to where you and I had him ranked in our final rankings. Yeah, I had him in the third round. I mean, obviously... He
0: and again, the second half did boost his stock up for me. That was a major one, but was it enough to put him in that second second round contention? Don't know because there are a lot of players that had probably better upside, like Gavin Brindley, Grayson Sauchin, Riley Height, who dropped to the early, like just before the third round. Actually, you know, there are a lot of players in there that I had my eye on for the Maple Leafs, and yeah, it was a bit of a surprise. But you know what? The Maple Leafs want character. They want work ethic. They want smarts. And Cowan has that consistently. I mean, yeah, I've been watching it. I was watching a lot of Bonk and Barky because they were the top names of the nights for me. But Cowan stood out too. And he was the reason why he made my list. And yeah, it, 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 it definitely was a shock. But at the same time, Wes Clark said that there were a bunch of teams after them that had Cowan still high on their list. So Maple Leafs didn't have a pick until the fifth round, unless they were able to trade down, which they weren't Um, teams wanted to keep their picks because we know how deep of a draft. This is might as well take your chance on a player that you have very high on your list and not let them fall and take somebody else. And then probably regret it after if they felt comfortable taking Cowan, you gotta, you gotta respect that process because they know what they're doing. They know what they're seeing. They know how to evaluate players and, Cowan definitely has the upside to take massive leaps forward. As he said, as Kyle said with uh, Luke Evangelista, there's a possibility there. So bit of a bit of a surprise. I probably would have taken somebody else, but you can't deny the fact that this is somewhat of a pick that has a lot of potential, which is what the Maple Leafs did at the draft.
1: Alex, you're the same as me. You go, you always get hyped up with uh, some of the Leaf panic that exists on uh, on the socials. So uh, your thoughts when the Leafs took Easton Cowan uh, with the 28th pick overall? Yeah, it's funny
2: because um, during the draft, I hopped on to the little watch party that the Hockey Podcast Network was putting on um, to just for the Leafs pick, just to talk Leafs a little bit and uh, break down the pick when it happened. And <laughs> as much as I regret it now, there was some obvious disappointment in my voice and on my face when... Cause I went in there thinking the Leafs are going to trade their pick. And then I see pick is in, I'm like, Oh boy. Okay. Who's on the board still. There's Andrew crystal still available. Gavin Brindley's still available. Um, There's all these guys that are still available that could have been taken in the, in the top 15, top 20, something like them. This could be a, this could be a real nice pick. Your Riley height was still on the board. And then, you know, they were, I, I, I they, they end up announcing the pick and I I hear Easton. Yeah. I hear East something. I'm like, what? And then I take my headphone off and I listen on my phone because my phone is a little bit behind and I hear Easton Cowan selected. And I'm just like, uh, okay, um, well, that's a bit of a reach. Uh, I'm not sure if I like that pick and I I didn't really give a lot of analysis and I was feeling a little dejected about the pick. I can't lie. But then I remembered, listen, I've barely watched Easton Cowan play. Uh, maybe trust that the Leaf scouting staff knows what they're doing here. And you know from that point on i kept my mouth shut i was like okay maybe this is a reach maybe they shouldn't have gotten and they shouldn't have taken him in the first round but i think once i realized that they were trying to trade down with that pick and they just couldn't find that they couldn't find a trade that made sense for them where they'd feel comfortable grabbing cowan they just said screw it and just decided to take him there in which case i can kind of understand that it's that's understandable so overall i think it's uh i, I mean you know you heard this the glaring review that Kyle gave him um he's a great uh great player a lot of hustle and I think that he's somebody given what the Leafs like I said to him like the like given what the Leafs have been trying to do with their with their dressing room and the types of players they try to bring in um first thing I hear about about this kid is that he's got a nonstop stop motor so I think uh that's gonna that's gonna bode well for them in the future and uh, I am certainly excited to follow his progress next year, because I do think he could take a big leap forward. Uh, Kyle mentioned that he was stuck on the depth chart behind a number of London's top players. And it kind of reminds me of the situation that Fraser Minson was in last year. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause he was playing for the Blazers and he, he had put up some impressive numbers, but he was playing behind the likes of Logan Stankoven and some other prospects, some other NHL drafted prospects on the Blazers. So, sometimes all you need is to get uh, a little bit of ice time and a little bit more responsibility to show what you can do. So I am looking forward to seeing what, key, what uh, Cowan's able to do this year.
1: Yeah. I think I mentioned it uh, for context on Twitter after the pick that I had him ranked 72nd in my, uh, my final ranking. So it kind of gives you an idea of, you know, what, uh, where, where we saw Cowan going. And, and in fact, I had Denver Barkey ahead of him as well, in terms mm-hmm. of uh, London yeah. Knights in the draft as well. So, um, but I mean, like I said, we talked to him at the combine, very well-spoken kid, very professional um, really class act in terms of the way that he was answering questions. And, and, and definitely a guy that I could see, you know, living up to what it means to be a Toronto Maple Leaf, especially with the media coverage that you get here in Toronto. Um, That said, I mean, anytime you've got a guy that's got 20 goals and uh, 53 points in his first full season at the OHL level, I, I think you're talking about a guy that's, that that's, Obviously, very highly skilled. And you heard Kyle mention that shift in the third round where, you know, a penalty kill. He killed off a minute 10 of of the penalty with his, you know, with his possession time. So really, really reminiscent of like a Mitch Marner type. I did get a quick message from Kyle right now as he popped off the show. And the one comparison he said is Connor Brown is a guy that he'd compare Mm -hmm. him to. Okay. So very interesting because that's a guy that, again, the least for rumored to be maybe be interested in in free agency was Connor Brown. Obviously they they did they, they had him. <laughs> but a guy that plays a different type of game, mm-hmm. um, maybe not as offensively driven, but definitely a guy that can be in that middle six uh, in terms of, you know, their NHL abilities. So uh, something to, to keep an eye on as he he kind of progresses through the Leafs organization. Um, I just want to say one quick thing yeah. about
0: uh, – Cowan for a second and just sort of, like, obviously you're not going to compare him to Mitch Marner at this point, but Mitch Marner only had 59 points in his first full season with the London Knights. And you know what, obviously Mitch Marner was probably, you know, a little bit younger at that point. Um, Given the talent that he had, he was, he made the jump already. Cowan had a little bit more of a progression there, but you know, if he would have played a full season, he probably could have had 53 points Instead of playing in the jhl and splitting time between that and the OHL, and then maybe this season probably would have improved his stock a little bit more had points been a factor. But you know, obviously, Cowan is a different player from Marner. But given how Marner only had 59 points to Cowan 53, and again, given how other London Knights had a steady progression afterwards, you could look at him having a big draft plus one season, no doubt
1: about it. That's it. I'm putting a graphic out there on Instagram. Peter compares, uh, Cowan (laughs) and (laughs) Mark. Quotes taken out of context. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. But yeah. Um, any takeaways, any other takeaways from, from the draft as a whole, um, not necessarily the first round, but draft as a whole could be first round notes that you had, uh, coming out of it, just saying, you know, what the heck, or this was a headline. What do you, what were your thoughts on the, on the draft, Peter, especially being, you know, feet on the ground?
0: Yeah, e- even with the first round, still a lot of uncertainty, too. I mean, obviously, we saw with the first uh, was going first, but then we started to get word that, you know, the Anaheim Ducks were starting to look at Leo Carlson very hard at number se- as two overall Then Adam Fantilli. And Alex, when I was on your morning show, I thought you got to take Adam Fantilli second overall and then look what happened. So anything can happen. There's a lot of uncertainty. With the with the with the draft class, first round, second round, third, because there are even players that dropped, and given how deep it is, we saw players that you know moved up, players that moved down, and it was unfortunate. But you know, there are a lot of uh, other players late in the draft that still have upside, still have potential, still have the ability to, you know, make a name for themselves, and. Yeah, it, it was very uncertain throughout. Given how you know it started off very early on after the Bedard pick, and then it slowly started to increase a little bit more as
1: the the first round went on, and then day two went on as well. I'm gonna say this: I I think that if Leo Carlson didn't go number two, my rankings would have been right in the top three. I think I think mm-hmm. they would have gone they would have gone uh, Fantilli two. I think they would have yeah. gone Will Smith three. Um, but I mean, obviously, Carlson kind of shifted that. Anaheim shifted that very yeah. interesting pick at number two. Um, I think a lot of people were taken off guard, but I think Carlson did himself a favor at the combine and just you know coming out there being himself. Obviously, the story from Scott Wheeler about um him, um, you know, motivating others but also inspiring others with you know his stutter and and whatnot. So Um, Yeah, I think I think just the personality of Leo Leo Carlson also kind of took a step in the right direction in terms of, you know, providing teams with a better idea of who he was as a a person outside the game, just like Alex asked uh, Kyle when it came to uh, uh, Easton Cowan. But Alex, (laughs) go ahead. Go ahead. I I was just going to say, you guys want to hear something hilarious. I, I was
2: just looking at the first round. And I got three total picks in the first round right in my mock draft. Obviously, <laughs> I got Connor Bedard, right? Yeah. And then I got Ryan Leonard to Washington, right? I got that one right, too. <laughs> and then for some reason, I got David Edstrom to Vegas with the 32nd pick, right? Those three picks, and then as soon as the Blue Jackets took Leo Carlson second overall, my entire draft was fucked. So it's like
1: it's like March Madness, right? Like yeah, you know, as bracket, as that you sixteen know? beats one. You're just like, there goes my entire year. <laughs> um, but Alex, uh, any big takeaways from the draft for you? It does again. It doesn't have to be first round. It could just be uh, you know something of note that uh, you you didn't see coming in. Uh
2: no. I mean, I I, I thought that the draft. Um, I, I thought that in the first round there were a lot of surprises. Um I think the first round kind of reminded me of uh the 20 I was it the 2018 draft where I was I was shocked to see the Habs take Caufield third overall and then I was yeah. wh- but while I was still recovering from that the Arizona Coyotes came up and took Barrett Hayton fifth overall. So I saw a lot of surprises like that in the first round. I was not expecting David Reinbacher to go to the Pabs fifth overall. I certainly was not expecting Dimitri Simashev to go to the Coyotes sixth yeah. overall. I think those that that's why I draw that comparison there between that and 2018 because they're just back to back, just two picks that I didn't see coming, but. Uh, Overall, no. I think the I think the draft after that pretty much checked out. I can't. I got to be honest. I can't really speak on what happened in much of the second to seventh round because I was out of the house for a lot of the draft while it was happening. So I I, I caught the uh, Leafs second two or the belief's final two picks there with uh, Hudson Malinowski and then oh boy,
0: it's, Noah Chadwick.
2: Noah Chadwick. I was I was thinking Andrew Chadwick and I was like nope. I'm thinking that because Noah Chadwick reminds me a lot of Andrew Nielsen when the Leafs drafted him. Um, mostly just because they're both 63 and both played for the left uh, left hurricanes but um yeah uh, hopefully he turns out to be a little bit better than um uh, a little bit better than andrew nielsen but overall uh wouldn't say i have any crazy takeaways from the draft uh i did uh learn about the story behind Hudson Malinowski and how, you know, he probably shouldn't be at the Certainly. draft right now. It's a yeah. pretty crazy mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Cliff notes version for anyone who doesn't know, he fell off a roof when he was 17 years old and almost died, um, had to take some time off to recover. And so he's probably a year behind in his development. So uh was a little confused to see the Leafs take a junior, a player an overage junior, a player in the fifth round. I was like, eh, you know, some other players probably make a little more sense there, but then I read up on that story and I'm like, okay, once again, uh, this goes to show why I am a fan commentating at home and I'm not on the scouting staff for the Leafs. So uh, overall, pretty solid drafts. Um, looking forward to seeing what comes of their, uh, what comes with their other prospects. But I got to say, I got a lot more to say on free agency than I do the draft this year.
1: <laughs> yeah, there you go. I, 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 love that story on Malinowski as well. I think just, yeah. uh, um, they honestly, he was ranked a little higher than where he went, and I think that uh, is a testament to maybe the player that he can be. he's got a he's got a pretty high ceiling. so i am interested to see how he develops over time as well. um but yeah, i mean, shocking on that first round I, I i don't think there's any question there. i hope uh i hope having Kyle on today kind of puts a little bit of rest to that um and and we'll see moving forward. um but as you said, free agency was a little bit more newsworthy in terms of what the Leafs did, what the Leafs didn't do, what other teams did. Um, just before we get to that, though, just a quick word from our other sponsors, DraftKings. New customers, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code THPN. Bet just $5 to score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in Massachusetts call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelpline.ma.org in New York call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in Kansas call 1-800-522-4700 on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in West Virginia gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net all games regulated by the West Virginia Lottery. Please play responsibly in partnership with Hollywood Casino at Charlestown Races in Connecticut. Help is available for problem gambling. Call 888 789 7777 or visit ccpg.org, 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details and state specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance one boost per eligible game opt-in required max bet $50 10 plus leg required for 100% boost eligibility wagering and deposit restrictions apply terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash baseball terms. So boys, uh, free agency. Um, day one, I was a little bit speechless. Not much coming from the Leafs. Obviously, Ryan Reeves was the big name. John Klingberg, which, you know, you talk to my father-in-law and John Klingberg was the biggest mistake the Leafs could have made. Uh, he's not a big Klingberg fan considering the downgrade he had over the last couple of seasons. But one year, not not terrible. Not terrible. Um, Alex, let's throw it to you first. Day one was... Quiet for the least. Day two, a lot louder. Your thoughts on free agency so far for Brad Tri- Tree Living and the Toronto Maple Leafs?
2: Yeah. Uh, day one, I, I think. A lot of people were feeling dejected on day one. I'm not going to lie. When I found out that Ryan Reeves was the only name that the Leafs had been connected to, and then to see that they gave him three years at over a million per year, I was not feeling too good about that. Um, Of course, in saying that, I knew that even as I was criticizing the signing, that as soon as he opened his mouth to the media, I was going to love him. So, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. it is what it is. He's there for the vibes. He's there for the locker room, and he's there to drop the gloves every now and then. I I can get over it. Um, the Klingberg signing, I'm actually, I think, a little higher on it than most people are. I think a lot of people forget about just how bad the Ducks were last year. And, you know, to, to spend your whole season with a team that's nowhere near competing for the playoffs, and then to go to a team that's on the, on, I won't, I won't say on the cusp, because they were pretty comfortably in a playoff spot, but to go to a team like Minnesota where, you know, you're only spending the second half of the season a couple games, and then the and then the playoffs. There, I feel like it can be hard for a guy like Klingberg to get settled in, especially considering how long he spent playing for the Stars before that. Mm-hmm. So, I think that a lot of people are underestimating what he can bring uh, on a team like the Leafs, who thrive on offense and generally needs some more puck movers from the back end I think uh, he can come and take a little bit of the weight off of Morgan Riley and I heard some people compare Klingberg to Tyson Berry and I kind of get it because he's offense first he's right-handed and he's not good defensively people forget that when Berry was in Toronto he spent the first like 20 games of the season getting forced into a defensive role by Mike Babcock next to third pairing too yeah, he he was put on the shutdown pairing with Jake Muzzin and it did not obviously did not work for him. And then even after Babcock was fired and Sheldon Keefe came in, um Keefe starts putting him alongside a Morgan Riley. And it's like, neither of those guys are good defensively. So all I'm going to say is that Tyson Berry never had someone like Jake McCabe to play alongside. And so I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. I think he, I think Klingberg, I'd probably honestly start him on the first power play unit. I think that he's got a bit more of a uh, presence in terms of his shot and um it gets through it gets through they do get through and no offense (laughs) to mark and riley not not a lot of those ones get through but uh overall i think it's uh i think day one was day one was all right uh day two um i feel like i've been talking for a while so i'm gonna let one of you guys take over for day two and then i'll chime in afterwards
1: peter take it away buddy what did you think of uh free agency touch on day one if you want to get into day two
0: Yeah, I uh, brief recap for day one wasn't a big fan. I I don't mind the term for Reeves actually I I, the contract or the value 1.3 still a little bit high but you know what totally understandable but you know I wouldn't give that much for a fourth liner um Klingberg I do agree brought him for offense get shots through be more of a offensive president trying to alleviate some of that pressure off Morgan Riley I think because I think they were relying on him too much having another strong puck moving defenseman is going to be good um especially if he is going to be in a top four role power play one I I I do agree that he does get shots through um that's going to be huge whether it's on net um second or third uh opportunities in front of the net I think that's going to be key for the Maple Leafs going forward because he had 10 goals. The next highest on the Maple Leafs would have been Timothy Lilligren with six. So you got to get a guy who could get pucks on that and he could do that. But for day two, yeah, it, it, it definitely was because it, it day two was just a Tyler Bertuzzi one and then day three was the Max Domi one. But uh, we, we could talk about both of them. It doesn't matter to me. But yeah, the The Bertuzzi one was definitely one that needed to happen. I'm surprised that that was the direction that they were going for a top six forward because when an opportunity for a top six forward to try and sign them, Maple Leafs are nowhere to be seen. You know They've been relatively quiet. And now one year, 5.5. I think uh, Bertuzzi wanted term as well. But I think with a lot of players and a lot of teams, it just didn't quite work out because we know the cap is going to go up next year. He's probably betting on himself. But... I think that this is a possibility that if he does well this season, depending on what happens with William Nylander, big asterisk slash question mark, what have you, if Nylander still commands too much and they decide to move him, that opens up a lot of money for Todd Bertuzzi to try and resign. If he, if you do decide to give him six, 7 million, because this is a, a bet, another bet on himself kind of year right now. And given how well he played with the Bruins in the playoffs, being that player to try and tread the line, not cross it, be an agitator in a pest. I plus still have that skill that'll complement Matthews and Marner. I think that's absolutely huge. And we saw what happened with bunting, how he lost favor with the referees and the officiating and getting calls against them and complaining a lot. If you brought bunting back at the same value, it probably would not end well. And I think I'd rather have Bertuzzi at 5.5 million than bunting at his current contract with Carolina at this point. But yeah, Bertuzzi brings a lot to the table. Um, transitional play, good speed, good hands. Great shot on net, as we saw during the playoffs with the Bruins. And the fact that he's able to elevate his play with top-tier players, that's something to look forward to. Uh, and it t- Boston had a strong top six. Toronto has a strong top top six. So I assume he's going to be on that top line with Matthews and Marner. And if he's uh, looking forward to that challenge, I'm pretty sure he's going to rise to the occasion and put up the points because this is a guy that has shown to do it in the past. Injuries got in the way. Um, I, I, I think right now, if he maintains his health, he's going to be a big part of this top
1: six. Yeah, it's crazy to think that the Leafs at one point were linked to both of these free agents. And, and normally you see them maybe go out and get one. They went out yeah. and got both. Oh. And, and on one-year deals, uh, there there has been conversation about Max Domi wanting to be in Toronto long-term. Mm-hmm. There has already been conversation or rumors, let's say, of a potential extension for Tyler Bertuzzi when the year is up. Um, and he does Leafs, have a no-movement clause too. He does. That and the huge. Leafs the Leafs will know more about their financial state and the cap state as the season progresses as well. So um, th- it's interesting to keep that in mind on top of that. I think it's safe to say that the Maple Leafs just became one of the most hated teams in the NHL. Um, you get Ryan Reeves they weren't before. Uh, well, I mean, I mean on the ice, not just off the ice. <laughs> oh, okay. Off the ice. They're hated by <laughs> like 31 other cities mm-hmm. on the ice though. Now you've got Ryan Reeves. You got Tyler Bertuzzi. You have Max Domi. And I mean, let's throw Jake McCabe in there as somebody who can throw the body around as well and, and, and kind of play a feisty role. So um, a lot of, a lot of hatred is going to come towards the Leafs, I think in terms of the on ice product as well. Um, I love the signings. I love the one year term. I love looking at it and saying, look, the cap's going to go up next year. We know we're going to, where we're going to be at. And part of that too comes with comments that were made by Matthew shortly after we finished our last episode, boys. And, that was that Matthews potentially wants to take less m- money, less less contract value um, to help the Leafs build a team around him. that's something we've talked about on this show for s- two seasons now is that Boston mentality and trying to make sure that you put yourself in a position that you can build a, a winning product. And um, Alex, I'll throw it to you first. Is this, is this, a way to look at Matthews and say, Hey, maybe we can get eight years out of this guy and build a a contender for those entire eight years. Now that he, we know that he wants to take a little less value to build that contender uh, on the ice. Uh, I mean,
2: I, I I would, I would, I would, I would would hope that that's the case. Um, I don't know how much I'm going to trust that. Uh, I I would, I mean, maybe this is just because I, I, I'm still used to Matthew, you know, for the past year, all we've heard is Matthews is going to take, uh, he's going to max his salary and take three years, or he's going to do five years at the most. He's never going to consider eight years. And now, you know, there's, there's speculation. Maybe there is a chance they get him for eight years. Um, overall, I think the Leafs just need to sign him. And honestly, if it's, if it comes to five years, I'm fine with that because if the Leafs don't make any ground in the next five years, his contract is up again, or he's going into his thirties. I think by that point, I'd be ready to move on anyways. So, uh, I think that his, uh, I think he certainly got a case to be able to command uh, command a hefty raise from hit the 11.6 he was making before. And if there is any merit to that, I think that would, that could potentially be a turning point for the Leafs. Because, you know, you look at the acquisitions of guys like Domi and, you know, he could play either in the top six, the bottom six or the middle six. And when you look at the Leafs last year from the start of the year, so I'm not including after they traded for Ryan O'Reilly and uh, actually O'Reilly was the only one that really brought any offense. So just him. But um, you know, when I, when you look at their depth scoring options throughout most of the year, it was the core four and then bunting. And then it went right down to Callie Yarncroke and with no disrespect to Callie Yarncroke, he scored 20 goals last year. I think that, the Leafs recognize that they need to approach this season with a little bit of a different plan beyond just, you know, let the core four carry the majority of the offense and then other guys can chip in when they want. Um, I think that having Domi and, and Yarn Croak as bona fide options in the bottom six, assuming Matthew Nice makes a jump as well. I think that their, their secondary scoring is going to be a little better this year. And I would hope that Matthew sees that. And it's not just for their secondary scoring. It's for improving defense. It's for it's for giving your goaltender a raise. It's for everything because ultimately the best teams aren't the ones where their stars are maxing them out for every penny that they have. And I'm not going to try and make a big generalization and say that every single cup team in the past has stars that have taken less, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, you know, I think that. I think that at bare minimum, you're not looking at, teams going out on long cup runs with headlines like oh is he going to command the league maximum in salary on his next contract like when you hear about teams that go far in the playoffs you'd never hear about their contract situations until afterwards so uh i would hope that matthews uh i don't i mean i i'm as big a believer in players getting their bag as as uh as much as possible i think he deserves a hefty raise but it would be a really nice surprise to see if he decided to take less
1: Peter, even if it isn't the case, and he he ends up getting you know the maximum to hear him come out and say something like that is has got to be a little bit of a blessing in disguise for the Leafs, especially in the, in the conversations that they're having with William Nylander right now, because you know damn well if 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 Matthews is willing to take less, kind of sets the bar a little bit for William Nylander when it comes to the Maple
0: Leafs. Absolutely, and I remember seeing that tweet about you know Frank Savali going on SN uh, five ninety and talking about that. I'm like. That's pretty big and telling that if your star player is going to do whatever it takes to say, listen, not going to be, I'm not aiming to be the highest paid player. I just want what's best for the team right now. That sets the tone for everybody else. that's going to be in a contract situation? Um, Now with Nylander, it is a bit of a different situation because he already took less on his first contract because of what initially happened. Now he's, I understand that he's asking for 10 million. He deserves a bit of a pay raise, but the Maple Leafs that's too rich for them. I think 8-9 million given their current cap situation it should be resi- relatively reasonable, but he has earned the right to earn 10 million. I mean, he's been very productive the last two seasons, back-to-back 80-point seasons, 40 goals this one or in the last season in 22-23. Um it's unfortunate because he said, well, why I could understand maybe why would Nylander want to take back-to-back pay cuts when he already did one. You know, we're already seeing that with Matthews. Maybe Marner does take a bit of a cutback as well. Maybe you try and increase Nylander's value on the next contract. Um, If they're trying to work something out where maybe the first year isn't as great and then it bumps up in years two, three, and four, maybe you could try and work something out if it's an eight-year deal for Nylander. But it it, it is a rough situation, and it's a different one for sure because Matthews has already stated where his position is. Nylander has stated his, and you know what? It's totally different for both players, but... You know, if Matthews is taking less and maybe everybody else should at this point, Um, granted, Nylander has already been, you know, on the wrong side of it once. But we'll see what happens. But all in all, a good sign that Matthews is leading by example and saying, you know what, winning is more important than money at this point. And Alex talked about, you know, the Boston mentality. That's what you want to see at this point.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it's safe to say that Nylander, if he if he decides to go the money route, I mean, obviously he's deserving of a of a big pay grade. We all know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the guy's earned thirty eight million so far in his career. I think it's it's safe to uh, safe to say that the money's there. If at some point players want to win, this is the time to do it. Mm-hmm. I think it's you know you've got so many guys in the prime of their career right now. Um, They've got to figure out a way to get it done. So hopefully we see Nylander kind of take that, uh, take that mentality in as well as Matthews and we can get something done. Marner again next year. Um, And and there's a lot of conversation around what, uh, what this team could look like in, in two to three years. But one more quick point, I just want to, I just want to add
0: on Nylander too. the difference between Nylander and Matthews. I mean, Nylanders, Marner and Matthews is Matthews and Marner have the hardware or not necessarily Marner, but like they have accolades and award, uh, nominations to go with their play. Nylander really hasn't been nominated for any accolades or anything awards and all that. So right now you're probably looking at Matthews and Marner still probably going to earn most of the paychecks. But I think that could be a case if you're the Maple Leafs. Well, you know, Matthews and Martyrs are up for awards and stuff. Nylander really isn't. I think that's one way you could go for the negotiations, but it's still probably not going to end very well,
1: no matter what. Worth noting as well, even though he should have been this year, Nylander's never been an all-star either. should have. Exactly. um, Yeah. That's, I mean, if you want to add that into the conversation, I'm Mm -hmm. not going to be that guy, but I did just uh, (laughs) put it out there into the universe as well. Yeah. Um, But one of the notes that was made in free agency and, and whether it's rumor mill BS or what have you, is that Ryan O'Reilly did not want to sign with the Leafs despite their, their best efforts to get him re-signed because of the culture in the room. And some of the conversation around that is that, while well, Hey, we brought in Ryan Reeves. He's an outspoken guy. He likes to throw the team parties. He likes to be a host. He likes to do this. He likes to do this. He likes to bring the team together. Peter, does this room have a cancer or a, bad culture or is it just maybe what Elliot Friedman said on 32 thoughts uh, recently that maybe O'Reilly just didn't like being, you know, having the media integrated into his life as much in Toronto. And that's why he, he went South to Nashville. What are your thoughts on that? i probably go with the, uh,
0: you know, him not being wanting to be in the spotlight because a lot of players maybe aren't up for that. And I totally understand that. Um, we saw how well, or not really how well, but how Phil Kessel was like treated in the media, how he wasn't really up for that, but still went out and produced no matter what with his time at the Bay police. Um, I think that I I don't think there's like, you know, a locker room issue or a cancer toxic situation in there. I just think they need to get out of their shell a little bit more. They need to be a little bit more laid back, a little bit more outgoing, kind of like Ryan Reeves. Kind of like Tyler Bertuzzi, kind of like Max Domi at this point where, you know, if I, I can't remember where I read it, but I think there was like stories where like some players were like, you know, kind of like separated from the team group activities and stuff like that. They're in their hotel room, they're doing something else, you know, there there's not a lot of like um, team bonding kind of thing. I think you got to do more of that. Cause if you're just sitting around in your hotel room, you're on your own and everyone else is having a good time. Then what does that say about the character of the team right now? You got to get them out of their shell. You got to get them a little bit more acclimated with the mentality that you want. You want them to be outgoing. You want them to be into it. You want them to be a part of everything. I think that's going to be very huge. And that's why they went after guys like Reeves, where he does like to do all the planning. You go after guys like, again, Reeves uh, Bertuzzi and Domi for the on ice character as well with their mentality of like playing to win. Um, I don't think that they're like, yeah, as soon as it first came out, everyone was making a big deal, but I, I would say this too, even myself when I saw that, I'm like, Ooh, that's not very good if that is the case, but you know, O'Reilly said he, he said that he had nothing but good things about the locker room. Everyone that left said that they had nothing but good things about the locker room. So I think we could try and, cut that out of the you know problematic rumor mill kind of thing but i do think that the maple Leafs need to be a little bit more engaging in terms of their mindset and mentality
1: alex your thoughts on the the rumor mill of the cancer in the leafs locker room
2: yeah, I I was concerned about that too when I read it, but I also couldn't really comment on it because it was right when Elon decided to impose that view limit. And so I was I was also can I just say, Musk, go fuck yourself for doing that on July first.
1: I know you don't care. I
2: know that you're off on some boat in the fucking Middle East or whatever, but in the Indian Ocean, but I don't do that, man. You know what July you, you, like. You gotta know what July first means to us. Anyways, sorry. I just had to get that off my chest.
1: Um, You're speaking for every hockey fan I out am. there, buddy. Well,
2: because I woke up on Saturday morning. And I'm like, let's go. I cannot yeah. wait to just sit down and take in like as much hockey media as I can. And then as soon as I pull out my phone in the morning, like as I wake up, it's your rate limit's
0: been exceeded. It's like, are you kidding me, man? I just <laughs> logged in. I just opened it up. What happened?
2: Anyways, so. Uh, God, I, sorry, I had to remember what the question was. Cause I just, I just used that to completely. Land the, past Elon room yep. I got issue. it. Yep. I got it. So, uh, when I was certainly concerned when I read about that, but I think as soon as it was debunked, like I think at, at that point you can put everything to rest. I, I don't think O'Reilly was a, I don't think there was a locker room cancer. I don't think he left cause there was a culture issue. I know people want to paint it that way because people want to paint it in a light where, you know, the core four doesn't care. It's a country club atmosphere and guys like O'Reilly wanted to win. And because there was, uh, because there was a country club atmosphere, um, he left and he didn't want to come back. And that's why he signed in Nashville. And I know that a lot of people want that to be the case because of the clicks that they can get about the Leafs having a country club issue. And how about how an established Mm -hmm. veteran like Ryan O'Reilly, it's one of those, we use a term in, in news reporting where it's like, it, it, it's like news that tugs at your heartstrings, but it, it you click on it because you know, it'll make you angry. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think that the, it was published that way for a reason, but I don't think that that was the case. And I think now that he's come out and not him specifically, but I think now that it's come out that, you know, he didn't have any issue playing in Toronto, you know, sure. Living made a good point where if you're from Toronto, sometimes it can mean the world. It's not always that case. Mm-hmm. And if you're in Ryan O'Reilly's shoes, you get to go and live in Nashville full time around the year. Um you get to play in a role where you're you're probably gonna be one of the top dogs of the Predators offense and you get to live kind of out of the spotlight. I I yeah. think for you know, we always make a big deal about Ontario born players coming back to play for the Leafs, and some people get here and they and they bask in it. Guys like Mark Giordano, guys like Jason Spezza, guys who got like Max Domi. guys who mm-hmm. come come home and I know Max Domi's not an Ontario boy, but either way Um, guys, some guys in from Toronto and Ontario come home and it's a big deal for them. It's the childhood dream. They get to be in Toronto forever. It's not like that for everyone, plain and simple. And O'Reilly, you know, he, he was great when he was with the team. Um, I would have liked to see him back for that number, but you can't force something on him if he doesn't want it. And if he wants to go to Nashville and play a bigger role there for the same amount of money, maybe live in a bit of a warmer climate. Good for him. Let him do that. I don't think it makes him a locker room cancer. I don't think it means the Leafs have a locker room cancer. Um, I think that the only thing there is really to be said about their locker room is that it's quiet, like true living said. And so, uh, that's why you bring in guys like, like Reeves and like Bertuzzi and like Domi, et cetera. So, um, that's kind of where I stand. I I, I think that just the minute that it gets clarified that O'Reilly didn't leave because there's a culture issue drawn, I think we got to put that to bed.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's safe to say that I think sometimes in later in, in players careers too, they, they don't mind the anonymity of, of playing in a place like Nashville, I'm not saying that you don't get noticed, but I remember when I was down there for the all-star game a few years back and, and, you know, Roman Yossi's walking Broadway, like it's nothing. Um, and, and it's just, it, it gives you that ability to kind of, stay amongst the people without without uh, immediately being recognized. And I think that's part of it as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it was bullshit from the get-go. I, I get that it's more of a quiet room. You see a lot of these guys that are maybe more focused on some of the outside things. You got, you know, Matthews, who's friends with Bieber and and probably Bass and some of the Toronto Toronto culture. You got Marner, who's got his family close by you've got Nylander who does his thing like there's a little bit more of like that individuality on this team but that's what you get when you get stars and and at their age and and growing up together and they have their own thing so I think bringing in a guy like Reeves does add to that does play a part in in maybe developing more that team mentality more that team culture um and I think we will see that a little bit more this season too. So, um, you know, I, I'm with you, Alex. I think it sucks to see Ryan O'Reilly go. I think he added, a, he added a bunch to that team uh, in the short time that he was there, but um, you know, you, like, like you said, you can't force it on anybody. And and he obviously wanted to play somewhere where, you know, maybe he has a little bit more of a role. He's not playing on the third line, um, maybe playing out of his comfort zone. Um, and, and the focus isn't on him either. So, um, yeah, it's a, definitely, definitely something con- to consider, but, um, aside from that guys, uh, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where, where do you see this team going uh, with the moves that they made? Do uh, you think they're, they're done or, or, or what do you think's uh, going to happen here, Alex?
2: Well, there's going to be more moves. I don't think there's any secret there. I mean, they're $8 million over the cap right now. Obviously that's before they put Muzzin on the LTIR and before they find a home for Matt Murray and all that jazz. But, um, they still got to re sign Ilya Samsonov. Um, they still need to uh figure out what the direction of their defense is because I I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you guys caught that quote uh from Klingberg's press conference yesterday where he said that apparently true living after the Bertuzzi and Domi signing said, Hey, um, I'm there's still some work for me to be done here. Like, I feel like you don't say that to a defenseman you just signed unless you're specifically talking about the defense. I mean, mm-hmm. unless true living it wants to confide in John Klingberg of all people, a secret about the Matt Murray negotiations or whatever, then no. Um, So I think there's still work to be done. I wonder if we see another move for a defenseman. I know Brett Pesci's name has been out there a lot. Um, I certainly hope that upgrading the defense doesn't have to come at the expense of trading William Nylander, but I do think that's something that fans should be keeping their eye on over the, over the rest of the summer. But as it stands right now, And I saw a really good point. I can't remember who said this, but I think what's important for Leafs fans to remember is that you can't compare a team at the end of the year to a team at the start of the next season, because because that doesn't factor in the trade deadline coming up in 2024. That doesn't factor in any moves that get made between now and the start of the season. And while, you know, it's easy to look at the lineup from the playoffs and say, "Oh, they lost O'Reilly, they lost Achari, they lost Shen, they lost pretty much every single player they acquired besides the ones with term and uh, guys like Bunting, Kerfoot, and Hall." It's easy to look at that lineup and say, "Hey, uh, this team is a severe downgrade from there." I think if, if if you compare the lineup that they have right now to the lineup that started last season, I feel pretty optimistic heading into this year. And, you know, we already touched on it. Tyler Bertuzzi, I think is going to be a massive part of this team. I think that, and I, you know, I I saw a savvy article, in fact, from Jim Parsons over at the hockey writers about how, you know, the Leafs could have potentially, you know, played a slick hand here. And, you know, you signed Bertuzzi to a one-year deal. Uh, right before the cap rises by 4 million. Maybe he's a guy you talk about signing long-term, depending on how this year goes, either that or he gets to cash out and get paid way too much money by another team. So I think that the team heading into the season is better than the team that headed into last season. And I think once we get to the trade deadline, we're going to be seeing one of the better Leafs teams we've ever we've ever seen. And that's um, provided Tre Living does more of what he did on day two and kind of in the later hours of day one of free agency. But uh, I think that, For now, at least, he's kind of won over the trust of a lot of fans. And while there is still time for him to make bad moves, he's already potentially made a few. Um, I think we just got to wait and see what he does. But uh, I'm feeling pretty good about where the team's at right now.
1: Peter, how are you feeling going into uh, the remainder of this offseason? Are we looking at a better Leaf team when we kick off 2023-24?
0: Yeah, I... Again, anything is possible for what happened. What can happen because you make the necessary moves. You added a top six. You added some middle six help with Domi. You added, essentially, a obviously Justin Hall being gone. You added a high, a more improved puck moving defenseman, but still bad defenseman, defensive defenseman in John Klingberg. But he's brought in to be you know offense, right? So. If he kind of like Alex, if he is paired up with the Jake McCabe, I think that kind of offsets everything. Um, You made the necessary moves to try and improve your team. Um, Obviously, majority of the moves or holes were up front. So obviously you bring in three key forwards that have some edge, combination of edge, skill, grit, determination, drive, what have you. The big thing for me is if you still go back into next season with Matt Murray as your backup and he still is healthy, as much as I've been riding the Matt Murray trade and trying to hope for a bounce back, what happened towards the tail end of last season, that's an indicator where you either trade him or put him on Roby Dot Island. Um same situation, kind of like with Jake Muzzin. I, I I think we've seen the last of Jake Muzzin. I don't yeah. if if you're making all these moves where you add another defenseman, you're adding the money because Bertuzzi is 5.5. Muzzin is 5.625, if I if I'm not mistaken. If you're giving if you're giving up that much money and you're 8 million over the cap, and combined um, Matt Murray and Jake Muzzin are 5.6, 4.6. I'm just gonna be safe and say combined 13 million or close to 13 million, that's a good indication that you they probably know that they're not going to return. Or if you move Matt Murray, you at least alleviate and shed that contract off. But I I, I think that they made the necessary moves they needed to make. Um, Whether that obviously day one kind of left a sour taste in everyone's mouth because of that's all. But then you get the Domi, you get the Bertuzzi, you get two top names in the free agent class, which is very big. I think that they did make the necessary moves. It's just a matter of seeing how the on ice product is going to gel together and play next season. That to me is going to be the big one.
1: Well, boys, it'll be exciting to see what happens over the next uh, couple months as we head into the second half of the off season, free agency, still in full force, lots of money being thrown around by lots of teams, including Kyle Dubas and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, Quick shout out to Phil Kessel on the hot dog eating contest uh, day. So Joey Chestnut will do his best to fill the thrill impersonation uh, as he goes for yet another title in the hot dog eating contest. Before we close out here though, boys, anything else you wanted to add for this week on Sticks in the Six? I got nothing to
2: add. Um, uh, Yeah, I I was going to try and think of something funny to say there, but no, I got nothing to add.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Peter, anything you got going, buddy? Um, just
0: grading the four contracts that the Maple Leafs gave out over at THW. Um, other than
1: that, yeah. Well, as you mentioned, Alex, in our our little prelude there, you're heading to the Weezer concert tonight. You enjoy that? Um, yes, sir. It's going to be hot. <laughs> it's going to be hot. Big shout out to our new sponsor as well, Seat Geek. So if you're looking for tickets to a concert, if you're looking to for tickets to a sporting event, check out Seat Geek. Use promo code sticks in the six that's s-t-i-c-k-s-i-n-t-h-e-6-i-x you'll get 20 20 off your first purchase uh so be sure to check them out over at SeatGeek. otherwise boys will we'll touch base again next week for episode 130 of the podcast